0: slightly different this morning in that you're going to get uh, two sermons for the price of one now don't worry i'm still finishing by half ten or at least the aim is that Boy, dangerous uh had the phrase once nothing more dangerous than a preacher who's lost his watch um, <laughs> uh, but uh, how many of you have seen uh, some of the Pixar films, Toy Story, things like that? And you know that you always get the, the short clip at the start, don't you? Like the little the little clip with the lamp bouncing around with the ball um, before you get the main film. And so uh, this morning I have like a, a, a very brief uh, mini-sermon for you before the main film, if that's all right. Um, so uh, I'm going to read from Luke 14. Luke 14, starting at verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. When he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give your place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited... Go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go higher up. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I now present for you a modern retelling of this, uh, of, of, of this teaching. Um, this is from the Passion Fruit translation. Uh, LAUGHTER When thou arriveth at Eastgate, do not seek the best car parking space or the one nearest the building. Instead, consider others above yourself and go to the space that has been ordained for you by the car parking attendant. These fellows serve you faithfully in all seasons and manage limited space with wisdom and patience. Honor them and you yourself will be honored in your father's eyes. Do not complain that you have to walk slightly further, or that it is raining. For for verily I say unto thee, this is Britain, and rain should not take you by surprise. (laughs) Be wise in understanding the seasons. Bring thy coat and thy umbrella, and wear appropriate shoes. Do not complain that thou driveth a nice car, and that the gravel may scuff up thy tires. For truly I say unto thee, if thou driveth a nice car, thou hast already received thy reward in full. Pray unto the Lord that he will provide greater facilities for the church, including an abundance of new car parking spaces. And in all things, act with humility, patience, and thankfulness. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. Be- before I get funny emails, there's not actually a Passion Fruit translation, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's mine. Um, we're a growing church, and it's wonderful, and many of you come from, actually, in fact, from significant distances, um, And we honour all of you for the sacrifices that you make in terms of your journey here and in terms of coming here and your commitment to being part of this family. We love that. We love absolutely each and every one of you. This church is who it is because of the people who are in it. We are a growing church with limited car parking space, and sometimes this causes frustration. And occasionally, out of people's frustration, we've had a few people that have... Uh, to put it bluntly, been a bit out of order to the car parking stewards or uh, have actually got into arguments around where is the best place for their car to be parked. Okay? Now, before we say anything further, uh, let him who is always perfectly behaved on a Sunday cast the first car parking ticket. All right? (laughs) Okay? All of us are frustrated at times and none of us are perfect. Okay? I think if we say... Our car parking stewards do an amazing job, all right? They serve faithfully, rain or shine. They are here before the meeting starts. They stay out there until after the meeting, after worship has started. Um, They faithfully do their best with the facilities that we have available, okay? And if you find yourself, actual fact, arguing or complaining to them, it is likely that you're doing it wrong, okay? We do realise that there are some frustrations that arise. We are trying to address that. We are looking into uh, other opportunities as to how we can expand facilities, including car parking, and we'd ask you to partner with us in that. Okay, But we'd ask for patience. Um, and, that, in fact, if there, if there are genuine issues, I'm not saying that you can't raise those, but, you know, come talk to me if you want. The conversation might be brief, but, you know, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, but uh, the, Because... We don't actually have the space. The car parking stewards can't create any more car parking spaces and they are trying to manage that wisely. Okay. So, every sermon has an application. The application for this is not to look around the room and go, oh, I wonder who that was. Alright? That's not helpful. Alright? And like I said earlier, none of us are perfect. In actual fact, Rather than coming in with the attitude of, okay, I mustn't grumble, you know, you're still going to come into church steaming, but now you think, oh, now I can't say anything. (laughs) Okay? Actual fact, the antidote to this is thankfulness. Alright? Rather than look at, okay, how, you know, what's the negatives in this? Actual fact, how can I behave in a way that is honoring, that is humble, and that is thankful? Because actual fact, if you start by coming to the car parking stewards and each time going, hey, thank thank you, thank you for being here. Thank you for serving this family. Thank you for you know, being out in the cold and the rain. You'll find it's actually very difficult to then complain to them because, in fact, your heart's already set that way. All right. This applies you know, across the board in any aspect of church life. We're to be a thankful and a grateful people. So um, rather than just wondering, going, okay, you know, even if it's you, and, and again, like I say, none of us being this perfect. Don't beat yourselves up. Just think, actually, how can I be thankful? How can I be encouraging? Because in actual fact, um, a good family is not just an absence of negative behavior. It's positive behavior. that makes sense? All right. Okay. You don't say, wow, we, we've got a great family. It's never abusive. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how... They say, we've got a great family. We build one another up. We are encouraging. We are thankful. We are grateful. We are humble. Okay, that's the thing. Let's just stir ourselves just to be that people. All right, so I'll pray on that front and then I'll move on to something completely different. (laughs) Father God, we thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for the chance that we have to worship here and the facilities that you've given us. We pray that we will steward them wisely and that you will increase our capacity. We thank you for everyone that serves in this family and we just ask that you'll help us to honor them. Thank you that they are already honoured in your sight. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Right, let's move on. (laughs) Tea, coffee. Yeah, we're good. (laughs) Ah, sure, we're done. Hey, PowerPoint's up. So, I want you to consider who I am describing, okay? This person was sent by God to save his people, born as a vulnerable human baby, raised by an adopted father amongst an oppressed people with a ruler who tried to hunt him down and kill him, as well as children like him? The answer is, of course, Moses Moses. (laughs) or Jesus. (laughs) I'm preaching through Exodus, actually, um, Exodus and 1 John. Um, And I'm going to be doing a brief series on uh, preaching Jesus through Exodus. We compare Moses and Jesus. Both of them uh, were born into a people in captivity. The ruler of the time tried to kill them both as a baby. Both grew up with their non-biological father. Both were sent by God to save their people. Of course, Jesus escaped to Egypt and Moses escaped from Egypt. But you can't have everything, you know. It's not (laughs) a parallel. So, the point that we make, and it's been the focus of our worship, and it's the focus of everything we do, the the whole Bible points to jesus the old testament foreshadows his life and points towards him and the new testament shows his life in the gospels and the church continues his mission the answer is always jesus okay the bible is in some ways incredibly complex okay with layers of meaning that we're always discovering it withstands historical and literary scrutiny and it can be studied for a lifetime and god will always be revealing new things through it but it's also actually very simple. Uh, and the truth it contend- contains can be understood by small children. Okay, It all points to Jesus. He is the absolute center. You can't get far without him. And I do heartily recommend, actually, the Jesus Storybook Bible, both for children and actually for adults. Uh, like, I've been incredibly blessed by reading this to my kids. If you've got kids under 10, get this. It's an amazing uh, resource which links every single story in the Bible through to Jesus um, and just all points to him. Um, in fact, I, think it, I, I would recommend that adults read this as well. I think it's one of the, the, um, uh, the best resources I've ever come across. And the answer is always Jesus. To quote Mike Pilavachi, if you take the Christ out of Christian, all you're left with is Ian. <laughs> 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 Ian, we do love you, but you are not our Lord and Saviour. <laughs> Ian on his own won't get you very far. <laughs> so, look at Exodus and Matthew. We're going to need to look at how God is revealed through both books. In fact, what are the common themes? What does he want to speak to us about? Okay. We're just trusting that the Holy Spirit will come and open up his word show us what he wants to speak, and just declare his goodness. Why Matthew? Well, if we look at the target audience, actually, of the Gospels. So, Matthew, which is the Gospel to the Jews, okay? Um, written to a, a Jewish audience in the first century. You have Mark, which is the Gospel to the Romans, which is quite, kind of the action-packed kind of Gospel. It's the one that you recommend to teenagers, because it's short, okay? Um, and easy to read, <laughs> Got Luke, which was the gospel to the Greeks, and John, which was kind of you know without specific focus, kind of more of a universal approach. And the focus of Matthew was that Jesus is the Messiah, and that he was the fulfilment of Old Testament prophecy, and that the whole of the Old Testament pointed towards him. So that's why, actual fact, of the gospels that I'm going to be comparing with Exodus, I'm going to choose Matthew, because in actual fact that was that was designed, written, with the very intent and purpose of showing that Jesus is the culmination of the whole of the Old Testament, that it all pointed towards him, that he was the Messiah, the Saviour that was awaited. But all Old Testament characters, matter how great or small, were all just foreshadowings of him, of the true Son, the true Saviour. In fact, if we contrast the importance of Moses, actually at the time when Matthew was written, okay, Moses, one of the, you know, the, the, the key patriarchs of, of the Jewish faith, um, and the Pharisees, who were some of the key religious leaders at the time, I would have said, well, I actually did say this is in John 9, says, we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, Jesus, we don't even know where he comes from. And so Matthew was written with the emphasis of, this is where he comes from. Okay. In fact, the whole of history points towards him. So I'm going to go on to look at Moses' early life. I've got a background in Exodus chapter 1, where I basically you have a mass child killing ordered by Pharaoh, and Moses was born into a time of huge risk uh, and oppression. And the Israelites had originally moved to Egypt at the time of Joseph, when one family uh, moved there and prospered and kind of experienced great favor. Joseph was the ruler, second only to Pharaoh at that time. By the time of Moses, they'd been there a few hundred years, and there were likely more than a million of them, okay? And Pharaoh perceived them as almost as a risk to national security and tried to reduce their numbers or possibly exterminate them altogether. So let's read. So Exodus 1. If you want to turn to Exodus chapter 1, if you've got that. I've got it on the screen here as well. If you don't want to turn to it. Oh, simple, very accommodating. So, Exodus 1. Read from verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, well, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. I find it fascinating that the Hebrew midwives managed to convince Pharaoh of that. (laughs) These Hebrew women, they can just speed up labor like that. They can just do that at will. That, that doesn't take them anything. Not hard. No, no. just. We, we can't even get there. It's like, you know, contraction and done. All right? What this says to me and what I, what I think one can infer from this is that Pharaoh had no female advisors. All right? Because they would have <laughs> spotted this. All right? All right? This was... Blatantly a council of dudes. Um, right? Who? You know, can you imagine? Like, if there's one woman without a Pharaoh's advisor, when the Hebrew midwives rock up and go, you know what? It just happens to. We can't even get there. It happens too quickly. The women would have gone, uh, no." But, but, no, blatantly, no, just all male advisors who just listened and went, "Oh, do they?" oh right, that's too awkward for us to talk about. You, you carry on. So, in terms of that, Pharaoh, the ruler of the time, so ordered just genocide against the Israelites, trying to wipe them off the map, because he was afraid that they would be a threat to his rule. And this was the situation that Moses was born into. Jesus was born into a very similar situation. I won't turn to it, but in Matthew 2, read that Herod ordered all boys under two to be killed because Herod saw that Jesus was a threat to his rule. Okay, Moses was at risk... Because Pharaoh tried to kill a generation. Whereas actual fact a whole generation was at risk in Matthew because Herod tried to kill Jesus. Okay? There's always opposition to God's people and to Jesus in particular, but God protects, God saves, and God triumphs. Let's read on. Exodus two. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking alongside the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. That worked out well, didn't it? (laughs) Talk about how God being able to take a situation that's intended to harm you and work it for good. Alright. Okay. Not only have the baby's been saved, you're now being paid to raise your own child. <laughs> so the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It's interesting. Moses means drawn out. Um, And look at the parallels. Later, the similar word is used when he draws water out of a rock in the desert. And in actual fact, if you look at some way, he is the one that draws his people out of Egypt. So the rulers of the time actually (laughs) named him with something that would go on to actually foreshadow his, his triumph and God's purposes. It's an interesting story, isn't it? Because it's from this that we get the term Moses' basket. I know that seemed obvious, but sometimes. But Moses basket is now such a common term that people don't actually trace it back to the biblical character, okay? Because you just go, you know, buy it in John Lewis or wherever it is. I forget. (laughs) Um, But. We tend to think, oh, Moses' basket. Oh, that's a lovely thing. And it comes up those warm instances. Oh, this is the first time you've brought your child home from the hospital and you place them in something nice and safe. And it sits by the end of your bed. And it's lovely. What we don't tend to think of is putting your kid in a river. All right? That's not a lovely moment. All right? That's terrifying. And interestingly, actually, the word basket actually used is the same as the word for ark. Uh, you, so, the parallels from Moses extend both backwards through Scripture as well as forwards through Scripture. In fact, even if you look at the, the passage about how it's constructed, it's covered with pitch. It's similar, actually, to the construction of the ark. Okay? This was a waterborne vessel for the Saviour of God's chosen. Okay? He chose Noah and his family, then through an ark. In actual fact, similar method but I want you actually to put yourself in the place of Moses' mother. All right? Imagine that situation. Imagine putting your child in a basket in a river. Okay? Imagine how terrified you would feel. Okay? Imagine the sense of of anguish at putting your child in an environment in which he was in danger and in which he might be killed. Okay? Most of us as parents have never experienced that, that degree of, of risk. But in fact, we, we, we sense that. You a parent, you know, on the first day when you drop your child off at school, there's that sense of, I'm putting them in an environment where actually I'm not there. And I don't have control over that. And there might be a risk to them. And you can see on the, you can always see on the, the playground on the, the first day of school, those that are dropping off their first child for their first day. And there's that kind of terror. And then you also you see those that have got kids a few years later and the joy that they have on dropping their kids off <laughs> for the first day. But, but, but bear, bear with me. <laughs> uh, there's that sense, okay, I'm, I'm putting my child in an environment that I can't control. For Moses' mother, putting Moses in that basket in the river, you know, just off, it's just going to float downstream. She had no way of knowing. Imagine how that felt. That must have been excruciating. Okay. Without wanting to overlabor the point, do you think God the Father felt the same when he sent his son to earth? As a baby, do you think he felt anguish at his son going from a place of closeness, honor, and safety? into an environment where he would be hated, persecuted, and killed. Now, Jesus chose to come to earth, okay? So it's different. He wasn't press-ganged by the other two members of the Trinity, all right? If that is even theologically possible, which I don't think it is, okay? But imagine the pain that the father had to endure, knowing that he had put his son in that environment, okay? Okay? Putting a baby in a river is a reasonable parallel to draw. The sacrifice that God made in terms of sending his son to earth was even greater. Let's just go on. Exodus 2. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now, a priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. This is later on in Moses' life. I've obviously skipped his childhood, because um, actually I'm not told that much about his childhood. But actually later on he was raised in the court of Pharaoh. He was an official. And then in actual fact, um, he defended his people because he saw uh, Egyptians oppressing his people and he killed one of the Egyptians and he had to flee into the desert. And so he's out. he's out of Egypt. He's on his own. He's outside of the royal court. It's just him. Just him out in Midian, and he comes across uh, these shepherdesses um, who have come to draw water. And then we read on in verse 17. It said, Some shepherds come along and drove, came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Now, now, this was not normal behavior at the time, okay? The, the you know, better or worse, the going and drawing the water was deemed the woman's job, okay? They would not have expected a man to have come and helped them do that, okay? And so Moses not only came and protected them from those that oppressed them, he then served them, okay? This was He's very humble, okay? This is Moses actually showing, okay, yes... A you know, powerful person who 's come he 's driven off a gang of, uh, a gang of baddies who wanted to kind of i don 't know I guess these women steal their sheep came okay, driven them off after that you would have think okay he 's entitled just to sit down, have a rest, bask in his triumph i 'm the man drove them off yeah no actually, you know, where are the sheep i 'll pour the water for them. Okay. Moses was a humble man. In fact, later on, in, in later portions of Scripture, in Numbers 12, it actually says, uh, it describes Moses as the most humble man who ever lived, which is interesting if you think that uh, Moses wrote Numbers. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, um, although, in actual fact, we should be able to acknowledge. I think you can say, you know, you know. actual fact, is almost a false humility to deny it, actually, there. Humility is actually just a correct assessment of yourself rather than constantly putting yourself down, okay? So before Moses was ready to lead his people, he first needed to lead himself, okay? In the desert, when he didn't have to do a thing, he didn't have to intervene here. He could have just let this happen. He he didn't have anything to do with these women beforehand. He could have just let that play out, walked on by, Okay? but he stood up and defended out others, and his character and his courage were shown on a small scale. Let's draw the next parallel. In Matthew 4, a couple of chapters later after Matthew 2, Jesus spent time in the desert, and his character was tested on his own before he did anything else. Okay, 40 days. Okay. Both Moses and Jesus proved their character on their own before anything else. Before, before they did anything else, before any form of public ministry or leadership, in actual fact, their character was tested and they proved themselves when no one else was watching. Okay? This is, their authenticity is actually really key. I think it's actually this is one of the messages that I think is going around that the Holy Spirit is breathing on. I'm not going to expand on that. I think there are other people um, that uh, actually are, are going to bring that message in due course and God has given more to say. Okay? But in actual fact, the point I want to draw out is what we work on when no one is watching is what God builds on to change the world. All right? and this was true of Moses, this was true of Jesus, this is true of us. Okay? And this is not to say that everyone who proves their character in private will be called to lead millions. That might not be your calling. Alright? It's not saying, okay, serve well when no one's watching and you get a platform. That's not it. That might not be your gifting. That might not be what God has called you to do, okay? But God has called absolutely each and every one of us to do great things and to expand the kingdom. And the person who is on the platform or is speaking is no greater than anyone else because, in fact, we've all got our unique callings in that, okay? This is about being the best you that you can be, right? Of being trustworthy, and consistent of not being hypocritical and of being just genuine and building in the small times. What's it like? Well, actually, in fact, when it's just God and you, are you the same person as to when other people are watching you? In actual fact, that's the depth. Your personal walk with God is what God is going to build his impact to the world on. All right? Because in actual fact, we don't preach just a, a, a theory or a practice. We preach a person, and we have to know that person. <laughs> okay, We know Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Okay? The foundation of all that we do, of our kingdom exploits, of everything, of our impact in the world, of our ability to change the planet, is forged by our walk day in, day out with Jesus, of those quiet, still times, saying, I am intimate with you, of taking time, and we see this both again, uh, both with Moses and Jesus, both took time just to be just them and God. Right? That was the foundation. That happened before anything else. That was happen- you know, and at regular times they would just go and that was it. They kept going into the presence of God. And actually back, we can argue these were people that were constantly aware of the presence of God. That became a daily reality for them. Jesus, absolutely it was. His constant communion with the Father and being filled with the Holy Spirit was the foundation of everything that he did. Now, just to address a common misconception okay, about who we are in private and about the impact that that has, the common misconception is this. Your father watches what you do in secret so that he can disqualify you when you mess up. Because people worry about that. Okay? That's fear. Love, love drives that out. You get close to Jesus, and in fact, you won't worry about that. Because in fact, you can't have this. There's not a verse for it. Okay? It's not allowed. All right? God is not watching over your shoulder, just saying, oh, all right, when, when, when's he going to trip up? Okay? What am I going to stop him doing? Because, you know, he did that. He lost his rag with his kids this morning. Okay? No. A pox on him. (laughs) 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 All right. She's not being very patient. In fact, there was that time at work when no one was watching and she didn't quite give her a rule. Did a shabby job. Okay. Ah, gonna get disqualified. No, it's not there. All right. There is no verse for that. You cannot have it. Okay. And again, like I say, that is an attitude of fear. Love drives out that fear. Get close to God. Okay, this is the misconception that people have—the people actually that don't know Him. Okay, all right. And if you don't know Him at all, and you've had that fear, He's one longing just actually to bring His love and drive that out. And saying, actual fact, I'm looking just to rejoice over you. He is looking to celebrate you. He's looking to bless you in all that He does. Your Father knows what is done in secret, and will. Let's try that again. Your father knows what is done in secret and will reward. reward you. Okay, he is looking to bless you. Okay, he is looking to celebrate every minor victory that you win. Everything that you do that is not spotted by anyone else, God is watching and going, That's my daughter, that's my son, they're amazing, and I'm going to bless them. Every time, every time we do something that goes unnoticed, God is looking to reward us both in this life and in the next. Okay, So you don't have the slot machine mentality of, I do this, therefore I will get that. Okay, What we trust is that God is generous and rewards. Some of those rewards come in this life. Some actually come in heaven. Okay, And in actual fact, I would suggest that most of the rewards are actually often a greater revelation of him because he's the greater, greatest reward that we can have. Okay, Every time you do something kind for one person, every act of service... Every time you put in some hard work at home just to sort out the house for you and your family. Every time you're thankful to the car parking team. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> when no one else is watching, God will bless you. Okay, His heart is to look for what you do well and to reward you in it. Okay? He is a generous God who rewards freely, okay? He knows that you mess up. He knows that I do. That's what happens when we forget who we are, okay? All right? It doesn't alter our status. Our status is unchanged. You are completely righteous, all right? You can't change that because that's Jesus' status and you can't detract from that, okay? What happens when we mess up is often when we forget our identity and forget who we are, It's like I've said before. When I was preaching on on Romans, on slaves to righteousness, our attitude towards sin is not okay. Now I must not do that. It's now I don't have to do that. Okay? It's not condemning yourself as saying, okay, I must not. It's saying actually I don't have to because God's made me a different way now because I'm a new creation. Now sometimes we forget that and we trip up and we fall. God is always just looking to remind you that's not who you are. I've made you different now. You can be greater. All right. So, I'll just sum up the main points we've got, and uh, and then I'd love us just to, to stand and pray together. All right. Main points. So, both Jesus and Moses, born into dangerous situations, both endured hardship. We looked at how the Father might have felt sending Jesus to be born as a human baby. We've seen how the key thing is how we are in private rather than when we're on display. And how the Father is looking to reward and bless us in absolutely everything that we do. And mostly, once of all, we have declared that the answer is always Jesus. We love Jesus. Very simple. Say, the Bible has many, many, many layers. And we can spend kind of a lifetime exploring that. They all point to Jesus. They all just point to a greater revelation of him and his character and his love for us, and his grace and his blessing. Will you stand? Father God, we just thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we are spotless in your sight through the sacrifice of your Son. Thank you, Jesus, that like Moses, you put yourself in a vulnerable, vulnerable situation that you gave up safety and privilege to serve us that you sacrificed your love for us your life for us and jesus we just say we love you we say you are amazing you are brilliant you are perfect in all your ways you are the object of our affections you are the love of our lives we will spend our eternity This getting to know you better, and that is the greatest privilege that anyone could ever have. We say we love you, Lord. We just ask for a greater revelation of you, for a greater heart connection. Lord God, a greater awareness that you are with us all the time and in everything that we do. Why don't you just take, just take one moment, just quietly to yourself. Just, just pray your praises to Jesus. Just tell him how much you love him. Jesus, it's all for you, all for your glory. We worship you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Love you.